Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, citizens. Welcome to this, the fourth episode of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am Emeritus. Our guest on the program this week is Kat Pleska. She teaches English at Strayer University in Taze Valley. She's also a regular contributor to wonderful West Virginia Magazine and an essayist for West Virginia Public Radio. She's a frequent guest lecturer and speaker to university classes such as Marshall, Virginia Tech, and recently Lee's College in Eastern Kentucky. This June, in addition to attending the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference, Kat's going to be teaching a workshop on memoir and personal essay at the second annual Pearl S. Buck Writers Conference in Hillsborough. Throughout the year, Kat performs as historical figure Frances B. Johnston as part of the History Alive program. She also serves as a board member for both the Kanawha Valley Astronomical Society and the West Virginia Labor History Association. Soon she'll add another board member position to her resume by serving as our upcoming first vice president for West Virginia writers. Kat Pleska, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Eric. I'm delighted to be here. Now, I was trying to remember the timeline of it uh, as to when I first met you, and I I think I narrowed it down to West Virginia Writers Summer Conference 2003 at a, a memoir workshop you were teaching there, but we really didn't talk a whole lot until I think it was April of 2004 when, when West Virginia Writers sponsored the Poetry Slam at Carnegie Hall in Lewisburg. Oh, yes, I remember that, and we did, I think we, that was probably the first time we, we chatted and got to know one another. I had never done anything like that before. Uh, myself, and um, it was nice. It fostered a good appreciation for good poetry, and um, I don't know if they've done that again, but uh, I'd like to see more of that certainly done around the state. You had mentioned that I was at uh, just re- recently at Lee's College in uh, eastern Kentucky. It's in Jackson, Kentucky, and I attended a poetry reading in uh, Hazard, Kentucky, and granted their new state poet laureate, Gurney Norman, was there in reading, out of their literary magazine, Kudzu. But I was stunned to look around and see, in that small community, but obviously vibrantly, vibrant community in the literary sense, there were 200 people in that audience. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was absolutely delightful, and I, it was also delightful that they turned out to, to hear the uh, student contributors, as, as well as the big names like uh, Gurney Norman. Uh, but I certainly would like to see things like that happen in our state, and I don't know why. You know, I don't know why I couldn't. What were you lecturing on at Lee's College? I was invited there to speak to Professor uh, Marilyn Brown's Appalachian Studies class. Actually, um, when Marilyn prepared to teach that class, she couldn't find a, one anthology or textbook that she wanted to use, so she was cobbling together a number of pieces. She Googled Appalachia online and stumbled across my, my blog, uh, mouth of the Holler, in which I had placed a couple of essays that were Appalachia-related. She contacted me and asked permission to use my essays in her class, for class to study those. Uh, over the course of the semester this spring, we corresponded once in a while, and I eventually sent her some of my radio essays, which she also used. 
And as it turned out, they uh, she invited me to be a speaker to the uh, to the class uh, to talk about my work. And she told me that she they had inadvertently killed two birds with one stone. They had been looking for a storyteller and hadn't located one. But uh, she decided that after I'd been there and talked to the students, that they had indeed found their storyteller. So um, I was delighted to speak with the students, and uh, it was a lot of fun. You mentioned your essays on West Virginia Public Radio. I imagine many of our listeners probably know you from that before anything else. How did that come about? Well, I was very fortunate. I had attended a workshop in uh, of Colleen Anderson, uh, who um, that was in the fall of 2007, and she was giving a, a workshop on writing for radio. And she noticed the quality of my uh, essays and my speaking voice. So she put me in contact with uh, the uh, news director at West Virginia Public Radio here, uh, nearby here in Charleston. And he invited me to send an essay. I did. And then he invited me to come in uh, and read it. And he was delighted with uh, both the essay quality and the quality of my voice. And the rest, uh, as they say, is, is history. And now they invited me, the current uh, news director, Scott Finn, has been very, uh, very kind to me and very helpful. He invited me to come in and learn how to record it myself in their studio and even how to use the software to edit uh, my own essays. And he further encouraged me to add music and uh, natural sound. So I'm, I'm in a learning curve on that, but it's just been an absolute blast. And uh, I'm very grateful to West Virginia Public Radio for allowing me this opportunity. Are your essays typically adapted from your memoir work, or are they written specifically for the radio? Initially, um, a lot of the pieces were adapted from my memoir, uh, The Last Storyteller. However, I also um, offer and write, uh, write and offer personal essays that might be something that's going on in my life at the time or something that I've noticed about our culture or our society. They are uh, have told me that they're happy with anything I want to write, as long as it's a personal essay. And... Um, um, a good uh, friend of mine and uh, state author, Belinda Anderson, told me that she liked the essays, particularly because there's a takeaway quality to it. It's not just vignettes, uh, but it's uh, a type of essay where I speak to something, some sort of universal qualities that uh, a listener can take away from it. Well, if this was the David Letterman show, this is the time where Letterman would say, well, hey, you brought a clip with you. Yes, let that TV come up, or in this case, let that radio uh, MP3 file roll. <laughs> Which one is this? This essay is titled Hey John, and it is a tribute to my friend Dr. John Richards, who was a colleague of mine at West Virginia State University, who was a uh, just a terrific person, a Renaissance man, and everyone he met, he, his first concern was for their well-being and sometimes over his own well-being. And when he passed away suddenly this past December, I felt a strong desire to make a, uh, a tribute, uh, an essay tribute to my friend John. I've read the headlines covering your wall. A thousand lifetimes, you must have lived them all. We took our chances. At the Charleston Regatta several years ago, I heard Julian Lennon sing. I was thrilled to be one degree away from the Beatles, and there it was, that voice, unmistakably similar to his father, John Lennon. An artist in his own right, 
Julian still carried his father's message forward. All we have to do is imagine. Leaving the concert, I saw a friend, John. We quickly discovered we were both avid Beatles fans, and declared Paul as our favorite. Over the next few years, I'd occasionally run into John in the copy room at work. Amid discussions of revolution, education, and philosophy, I recognized him as a Renaissance man, versed in myriad subjects from accomplishing a black belt in karate to writing scholarly papers on logic and religion. I was stunned when, in December, I found myself at a funeral home, listening to strains of Beatles music. Dozens of John's friends attested to his open heart and mind. His love of discussion, the sharing of ideas, and most of all, his bond with everyone he met. Here we were, come together, wishing we could speak with him again. To die at fifty. Is too soon. I don't understand why there aren't more people like John. He was here, there, and everywhere, no distance too far to sit a spell and talk. He was known to drive two and a half hours just to visit for one evening. He and his friends must have hated it when it was time to hit that long and winding road. We should miss one another every day. John knew this. He valued the family he'd created out of people from all walks of life. Now that he's gone, he'd want us to congregate not just at his funeral to listen to his beloved Beatles songs. He'd rather we get together and sing, because we all know the words. Hey Jude, imagine what would happen. If we all take the same sad song and make it better. Thank you so much for sharing that, Cad. What a great tribute to your friend. How long does it take for you to put one of these essays together? Oh, that's an interesting question because I think once a finished product comes out there, we all think, well, that you know, that must not have taken、uh, a long time. But actually, to write、uh, a 500-word essay, it might be typical for me to put in 10 hours.、Uh, typically, what I do is I just sit down with the idea that I've come up with. Uh, and I might have several at, at once that I'm working on, and I'll continue working on one until I see that which one actually works at that time. And I may may write m- many more words than 500. 
but eventually I'll go back and revise and edit and hone down and until I get uh, to that limit. But it is uh, a lot of time and a lot of effort, at least uh, at least for me. Kat, you're known for your work in memoir. You had mentioned your, your memoir, The Last Storyteller. Mm-hmm. You're also known for creative nonfiction, which is, I think, uh, memoir and creative nonfiction was what you were teaching when we first met. How did you come to specialize in memoir? Well, I first heard about uh, creative nonfiction back in 1992 when I was in college at West Virginia State, and I became intrigued with it. I had been studying fiction, but I really liked the idea of working with the truth, with uh, real life and the facts. But I wanted to be able to express them in an artful way, and I found that that's exactly what creative nonfiction does. Creative doesn't mean make it up in the sense. It means to use creative techniques in order to tell the truth. And over the years, I wrote bits and pieces. Uh, then finally, in uh, 2002, I discovered a program at Goucher College in Baltimore, which offered a, a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction. And so I submitted my, my written pieces, and I was accepted into the program and graduated in 2004 with uh, a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Nonfiction. And while I was in the program, I collected together my pieces of memoir and then added even more pieces to it, and it became my thesis. And uh, once I graduated from Goucher, I then further developed the uh, memoir into a book form uh, titled The Last Storyteller. You are the nomination for first vice president on West Virginia Writers Board this year, but you've served on the board before in the late 90s as both secretary and treasurer. You've also been the coordinator for the annual Just and Commonly Good Award. What brought you back to the West Virginia Writers Board other than the fact that we asked you? I think that writers in the state, when they reach a certain level, whether it's a tremendous level such as being an author and having your books published or or levels where you're actually you know, beginning to get your work out there, as I am through my West Virginia Public Radio essays and my work through wonderful West Virginia Magazine, I think it is beholden upon us to start paying it forward. And one of the ways that we can do that is to return to the organization or go to the organization and look at what we can do in some capacity to help the other writers get to where we are and just as to be grateful and to be thankful for for where we have arrived and it's certainly i don't i certainly don't think that i have arrived at the apex i'm i have a, a longer road to go to become an author and uh, i look forward to that day uh, but and that's just purely it i just wanted to go back to the group and and to help what are your thoughts on the current state of the literary world of appalachia i have mixed feelings about that i I have discovered that uh, writers that um, are as good as any in the world that can be produced are right here in uh, our state, West Virginia, and in Appalachia. I do think it is still a struggle. Um, I think publishing overall is in a great deal of trouble with the economic times that we're facing. And and before that, there there are issues about whether or not the book sales within Appalachia were strong enough to support the authors, and they often would turn authors down on that that uh, that um, single fact that they think that book sales aren't as strong as where when the author comes from, and I find that foolish. Most of the people I know uh, are avid readers. I think it's probably changing. Uh, I think it's been slow, 
but I think we have some super fine representatives of writers from Appalachia, Denise Chardina, Mary Lee Settle, and Pancake, and many others who are who are rising. And uh, we will just hang on to their coattails and get ourselves published. I knew you portrayed early 20th century photographer Francis B. Johnston for the Humanities Council's History Alive program. I didn't know you'd added a second personage, though, of Anna Jarvis. Could you tell me a little bit about these women? Yes. Uh, the Francis B. Johnston uh, is uh, a History Alive character that I perform for uh, the West Virginia Humanities Council. I, I made a proposal for her. And which is quite extensive. I had to prove my research and prove that she was worthy of someone who could be uh, a history alive character. Uh, that was a 10 page proposal, uh, single spaced. And once that was accepted, I then had to audition uh, before a panel and uh, in, in full get up, and, uh, which I did, and I was accepted. And uh, I want to say that Frances B. Johnston is a West Virginia native. She was born in Grafton, West Virginia, in 1864, and she was a world-famous photographer of her day and age. And uh, she, uh, when she was a toddler, she moved to Washington, D.C., where she later established a studio. Uh, but uh, she was as famous as Ansel Adams later on and um, Annie Leibovitz today. And I portray her from 1910. However, my character, Anna Jarvis, who was the founder of Mother's Day, is also a native of West Virginia, also of Grafton. Both uh, Anna Jarvis and Frances were born in Grafton in the same year, 1864, six months apart. But I was asked in the fall of 2007 to um, build a character, Anna Jarvis as a character, to celebrate the uh, centennial of Mother's Day uh, by the uh, Mother's Day Shrine Foundation. So she's not affiliated with the Humanities Council. And I did uh, uh, perform her in three programs for them, one of which was filmed uh, and uh, broadcast throughout the state on Mother's Day. Uh, but uh, I also portray her from uh, 1910. Well, Kat Bleska, thank you so much for giving some of your time to speak to us here on the podcast. Thank you, Eric. I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for the work that you're doing for on behalf of West Virginia Writers. Cat Pluska can be found online at catpluska.com, as well as her blog, Mouth of the Holler, courtesy of redneckromancer.typepad.com. Her radio essays can be found at wvpubcast.org, and we have links to all three of these sites on our own site, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. Next week on the program, we'll be speaking with Georgia-based poet Dana Wildsmith. She'll be presenting three poetry workshops at our upcoming summer conference. That's June 12th through the 14th at Cedar Lakes in Ripley. We'll talk to her about her influences, the ins and outs of being a writer-in-residence, and we'll hear a fantastic poem from her as well. This week's show, of course, was brought to you by the greatest Mother's Day gift in the history of time itself, and even Anna Jarvis, mother of Mother's Day, would agree. Yes, I'm talking about our collection of winners from the past ten years of our annual writing contest, Seeking the Swan. It's found at our website and upstanding bookstores around the state. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.